Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Julie Mentor and her husband moved into a house in Oakland in 2017. There were lots of things they loved about their new home, but especially the three big redwoods in the backyard. Feels like it's a really big part of the identity to me of the city of Oakland. Like there's, you know, if you look at the hills and, and kind of the trees and being able to go in nature while being in a city feels really important, at least for my, my mental health and balance. Last year, Julie started to worry about the trees. One of them had lost almost all of its leaves, and despite watering it, it wasn't bouncing back. It had to come down. It's so sad, and I think it's it's that both both for the tree because you know they're such beautiful trees, they're such they're so old and majestic, uh, but also scary to be like, whoa, this tree's not doing well. The one next to it isn't. The ones in my neighborhood don't seem to be doing well. Julie's noticed not just in her backyard, but all around Oakland, redwood trees don't look so good. Around her neighborhood, off highways, really all over the East Bay, Julie has noticed the trees looking dry and scraggly. So I'm wondering, is something happening to the redwood trees in the Bay Area? And if so, what is it? And is there anything we can do about it? I'm Olivia Allen Price, and this is Bay Curious. Today on the show, we're tackling California's state tree, the Coast Redwood. We'll dig into why it's unique to this area, what makes it so special, and how it's adapting to challenges like climate change and urbanization. Stick around. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment, and if you love what you're hearing... And I know you love what you're hearing. Please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. 
We sent reporter and Redwood Tree enthusiast Dana Cronin out to answer Julie's question about what's up with the Redwoods. There's a really special feeling I get every time I walk through a Redwood forest. My mind goes quiet, the only audible sound coming from the crunch of my footsteps. The temperature is always perfect. Even on the hottest day, it's still cool among the trees. And the smell. It smells so good. There's just no... Even just stepping outside of my car in the parking lot, I was like, it just smells so good. I'm in the middle of the Roberts Redwood Recreational Forest in the Oakland Hills, hiking with Deborah Zierten, who works for Save the Redwoods League. She's going to help me teach you all about redwood trees and why they're unique to our region. Then, later on, we'll get to the heart of Julie's question. What's happening to them? And just a note, for this episode, we'll mostly focus on coastal redwoods, which grow no more than 50 miles from the coastline. Now, Deborah grew up here in Oakland and visited these redwoods frequently as a kid. I don't think I fully appreciated the redwoods until I went away to school and then came back as an adult. And this was the place that I would hike to clear my head. And these were the forests that I came to. And so it is a very special place for me here. She's now dedicated her life to these trees. She's an educator with Save the Redwoods League. Her job is to teach school-aged kids about them. It's a tick. Okay, come on over. You can put your backpacks down and then we're going to circle up right here. I tagged along recently with Deborah as she guided about 30 fifth graders from a local elementary school through the Reinhardt Redwood Regional Park. The students are spread out across three wooden picnic tables, fidgeting in their seats. Can I have everyone's eyes up here? Okay, will everyone look up and take a look? These, we are in a little redwood grove. So these are all redwood trees. After setting a few ground rules, no touching plants, be quiet while others are talking, Miss Deborah, as they call her, launches into the lesson. So can you raise your hand? Do you know anything about redwood trees at all? Raise your hand if you know anything about redwoods. A student's hand shoots up. Yes. They are really tall. They are, redwoods are the tallest tree in the whole entire world. Redwood trees can grow more than 300 feet tall. That's taller than a 30-story skyscraper. And not only are they the tallest tree in the world, they're also among the biggest. Their trunks can grow nearly 30 feet wide. So how are they able to get so big? So everyone, do this with your arms. It's okay if you kind of lightly touch your neighbors. Deborah holds her arms straight out to the sides like a scarecrow. One of the things that makes redwoods so unique is that they actually hold hands with their roots underneath the ground. And that's how they're able to grow to be so tall and not fall down is that they help each other Redwood roots are shallow and extend outward instead of down. Their roots extend out almost as far as the tree is tall, and they essentially hold each other up. In addition to being really big, redwoods can also live a very long time, like more than 2,000 years. That means some coastal redwoods today were alive during the Roman Empire. 
Those old growth redwoods, which now only account for 5% of all redwood trees, can store more carbon than any other forest on the planet. We are pretty lucky to have redwood trees here in Oakland. And people travel from all over the world to come and see redwood trees. Redwood trees also have unique ways of reproducing. They produce seeds like any other tree, but they can also sprout new trees from their roots. So often redwood trees, you will find them in circles that we call fairy rings. Because if a parent tree gets hurt or injured, it will send out these baby sprouts into these circles. And it's kind of like a little family growing. They're basically clones of their parents. That's why you rarely see redwood trees standing alone and more often see them together in a circle formation. Deborah tells the students we can learn a lot from redwood trees. They exist in communities and rely on each other for support. They have hard exteriors that protect them from things like wildfires, but they're soft on the inside. Deborah says they're not so different from us. The earliest redwood trees existed more than 200 million years ago, alongside dinosaurs in the Jurassic period. Their natural range has shrunk a lot in that time. Now they mostly stretch up and down the northern California coast, as far north as the Oregon border and down to about Big Sur. Their distribution tracks with another iconic California phenomenon, coastal fog. So in the summer months, when there's a lack of rainfall, redwood trees essentially drink the fog. It's almost like a sponge sucking in that water. And then when their needles get full, also like a sponge, any of that excess water will drip to the ground. And it's almost as if they're creating their own rain. And they've adapted to this region in other ways, too. They're highly adapted to fire. Take the 2020 CZU Lightning Complex fire, for example, which burned through most of Big Basin Redwoods near Santa Cruz. Three years later, that forest is green again, and the old-growth redwood trees there are still standing strong. Redwoods also survived a period of severe logging in the late 1800s, when, after the gold rush, San Francisco was booming and timber was in high demand. Many trees didn't survive, though. In fact, most of the trees now living in the Oakland Hills are ones that have grown since that period of logging, young by redwood standards. Luckily, a movement was underway to protect redwood forests. Save the Redwoods League, where Deborah works, was founded in 1918 and helped to accelerate the preservation of redwood trees across Northern California. People started to see the value in recreation and see the value in these trees not as lumber, but um, for health and wellness and uh, for preservation purposes. But now they're facing new challenges. As our question asker Julie noticed, redwood trees in the Bay Area are struggling. If you walk and you look up now in most urban areas, I think everybody can pretty much see that, you know, there's some tops that are dying back. There's a lot of, you know, brown foliage in the crowns of these trees. That's Todd Dawson. He's an environmental scientist and professor at UC Berkeley and has been studying redwood trees for decades. We met up on a foggy morning at the UC Berkeley campus, which is home to many unhealthy-looking redwood trees. See the thinning crowns of the one right out there in the distance? Yeah. There you go. 
And you just see that over and over and over repeated so many places. Todd says trees are suffering all over the Bay Area, even up through Santa Rosa. And there are two main reasons for that suffering. Let's take them one at a time. The first reason is urbanization. The Bay Area has gone through a drastic transformation over the last century. And with all the concrete and all the pollution that's associated with urban sprawl, the the trees are suffering. That's mostly because sidewalks and roadways are impinging on Redwood's root systems. Remember how their roots extend out really wide? Here we are standing 10 feet away from a redwood tree on a concrete sidewalk that we've set concrete on top of a big part of the root system. And so it's really going to really have a very, very negative impact on the ability of that tree to get the water it needs, get the nutrient it needs. We're basically suffocating them. And on top of that, we have reason number two, climate change, which is impacting redwood trees in different ways. That fog that redwoods drink in, well, it turns out it's on the decline. In fact, since the 1950s, it's declined about 30% during the summertime, when redwoods really need it. That decline, coupled with periods of severe drought in California, is putting a lot of stress on the trees, especially giant sequoias, another type of redwood that mostly lives in the Sierra Nevada. Thousands of trees there have died due to a lack of water. The water deficit itself didn't really kill all those trees. It was it weakened them in a way where other pests and pathogens got in there and basically wiped them out, like beetles, fungi, other things like that. In addition to a lack of water, more intense fires are also impacting those trees. Although they have adapted to fire over the centuries, they can't handle the extreme fires we're seeing now, caused by climate change and bad forest management. All in all, Todd says redwood forests are struggling along their perimeters. As the wildland-urban interface stretches further and further into the wild, redwood trees are increasingly exposed to human impacts. They're losing their buffer. I think that's the future, is we're going to see a patchier world. And, and that's really disappointing and concerning for me, because, you know, we sit at the heart of that. Humans are really the ones that are in control and and are having the negative impacts that we now see. Now, I think we've answered most of Julie's questions, except for one. What can we do about it? Todd has a couple thoughts on that. First, Julie, regarding your backyard redwood trees, Todd says you can try watering them, but... The trees require so much water They also require pretty special microclimates, meaning that they like it cooler, they like these moist, foggy summers like we're seeing today, you know? And I think you can't really recreate those conditions as a a person, right? Unfortunately, he says, irrigation is a Band-Aid solution at best, because the problems redwood trees are facing now are much more systemic. And that's how we need to think about solutions, Todd says. One of those solutions is to protect redwood forests by getting them in the hands of governments and nonprofits, like Deborah's Save the Redwoods League. Todd says that work is critical to ensuring the tree's survival here in Northern California. The forests are just so special, these big cathedrals with these amazing and gigantic trees that there's just nothing like that. And I think 
Anybody who's ever walked through a redwood forest for the first time just is in awe of what a special place and what a special feel it has. So I'm really concerned about them and I want to keep working with them. And I'd love to see those forests protected, you know, in perpetuity. Protecting them now means securing their existence for our kids, grandkids, and maybe even humans 2,000 years from now. That was KQED's Dana Cronin. We gave our question asker, Julie, a call to share the answer. I really appreciate that. And uh, <laughs> I'm like, ah, what do I do? There is a piece of like concrete in our backyard that we're thinking of taking out. So that's a good confirmation of like, yeah, let's take it out. Let's like not suffocate this tree and, and give it more support. Thank you for asking the question, Julie. Bay Curious is made in San Francisco at member-supported KQED. If you're a fan of the show, please consider giving us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's a little step that goes a long way to help people find and trust our show. Bay Curious is produced by Amanda Font, Christopher Beale, and me, Olivia Allen Price. I hope you have a great week. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.